0: (laughs) All right, gentlemen, let's go ahead and pull it together here this morning. Welcome back, guys. It feels like it's been a long time since we've been together, and that's because it, uh, it has been. Uh, we uh, we, we kind of finished up back before Thanksgiving and then took the holiday season off and decided to uh, just give you a few weeks to get yourselves settled into the rhythm of 2024. So I think it's been almost two months since we've been together or it has been two months, maybe a little over. Uh, so that was a good long break. I hope it was enough to uh, give all of you men a desire to be back and wake up this early. Um, I'm, I'm grateful for that. You know, I, I, I did want to just make mention of the fact that, you know, if, if maybe you're jumping back in and you're rubbing your eyes this morning saying, what in the world was I thinking, uh, agreeing to come to this? Um, and if you're new and you're wondering what in the world are we doing here? Um, I, I did just want to remind us briefly um, that what we're doing here on Friday mornings and really anytime you open up the word of God, it, it, it's a little bit like going to the gym, right? If you, if you go to the gym once, you have no right to say, well, now I'm in shape, right? Not, now I am who I need to be and I got it all together. Um, no, if you go to the gym once, you're gonna be really sore and that's about all you're gonna get out of it, right? Um, it, it, it's the repetitive nature of the investment that ultimately pays dividends and causes you to get into, I- into shape. Uh, The same thing is true with an exercise like this, okay? There isn't gonna be one single Friday morning where you walk away saying, that just changed my world. Um, But the cumulative effect of these successive Friday mornings and truly successive Sunday mornings as your mind is washed with the word, uh, you will over time begin to see Change and growth and adjustment in the way that you think and perceive life and lead, uh, and so I just want to encourage you with that uh, to be to be faithful um, with uh, with what it is that we're doing here. Um, you know, I heard Mark Dever one time talk about how that if if your approach to church is that you are Swiss cheesing it. Uh, which what he meant by that is, you know, there's just big holes in your attendance where you're kind of picking and choosing, I'm coming this week, but not that week. And, and these two weeks, I don't need to be there, but this week I'll be there. If you're, if you're Swiss cheesing it, right, that's what he meant by that, which is kind of a weird way to think about it. But now you won't forget it. Um, if that's your approach to church, well, you're not gonna get the continuity of the message that God has for you to understand. Uh, and, th- and the same thing is true here with what we're doing on Friday mornings. Um, it's the cumulative weight of having your thinking forged and formed by the word of God and his truth that is going to pay the dividends over time. So just want to encourage you with that here from the get go. Um, and, And I will say too, I already see in so many of you, you know, I think this is now going into year three of this process. For those of you who have been part of this over the past three years, I see dramatic change Um, in the way many of you men are thinking and leading and approaching the truth of scripture and engaging not only with the church around you, but also with your God. Uh, And that is a tremendous encouragement to me. And I don't attribute that just to what we're doing here on Friday mornings or anything that I'm saying. I attribute that to the work of God in your life. But I know that he is doing that work as he enlivens you with his truth. And this is just one way by which we're able to do that as men here in the church, okay? So be encouraged. This is, this is not pointless, this is worthwhile. And that is the reason why our alarms were set so very early this morning, all right? Now, just a couple of uh, housekeeping items. Um, if you have not yet picked up a book and you would like a book, there are books there in the back. Um, I know most of you paid for that book when you registered for the class. If you weren't able to do that, uh, just come and see me. (coughs) We'll be sure to take care of it for you and get that uh, taken care of. Okay, So we'll get that all squared away. Um, Just a a brief word regarding the the formal versus the informal track. All that means is that with the formal track, you're kind of taking the class for... Uh, essentially credit of sorts towards kind of that final certificate of completion in theology. And all that means is that you've not only attended these lectures, but you've also done the corresponding homework that is listed in um, in the class schedule. And, and just as a reminder, guys, um, you get out of something whatever you put into something, okay? So I would really encourage you uh, to do just a little bit of work necessary to keep up with this homework it 's basically just a chapter a week, and so that should not be overwhelming to to any of you we 've really kind of hit our stride, I think on what is reasonable. Those of you who were in the first class or two of this co- of this program um, <laughs> I apologize to you for how much work we had you doing originally, but I think we 've kind of even that out and uh, figured out uh, what what is a reasonable. Um, assessment for where we're at here, okay, so you can you can proceed accordingly, either formal, informal, and uh, we'll we'll go from there now I, I do want to make one adjustment to the homework. These had already been printed, the schedules uh, before I figured this out here this week. so everybody if you're trying to do the homework, um, make sure you're listening to what I'm saying right now, okay, because next week, the assignment is no longer to read chapter one out of reenchanting humanity, all right? I I read that chapter this week. It's a good chapter, but it's a little bit long and it gets a little bit technical. Um, And I thought, you know, there's actually a clearer resource um, that I know of because I actually wrote it myself when I was in seminary. That's much shorter, a little bit more concise and not quite so technical. Um, So there is a paper that's about 20 pages long uploaded to Planning Center Uh, to the course um, that I wrote back in seminary a number of years ago um, that I think will maybe just be a little bit more concise way to help you men get your arms around this idea of what the image of God is. You're still very welcome to read chapter one out of the book. It's just kind of a long chapter and is going to be a lot to wade through. Okay, So I wanted to give you guys access to that resource because again our, our goal here is to make sure that this truth is clear. And if there's a way to make it most clear, that's what we want to do, okay? So n- new assignment, it's the paper that's posted on the class website, not chapter one. But if you wanna read chapter one, go for it. It's not gonna hurt you, um, but good luck to you, okay? That's the, that's the plan there. I will tell you guys too, and I'm pretty excited about this. We actually um, just confirmed yesterday, um, both Owen Strayen and Grant Castleberry are going to be coming to speak um, for us at a Think conference this coming August, um, which will be a great time. That's going to be on the issue of biblical gender, sexuality, um, really giving us the opportunity as a church and other believers here in the area to think deeply, thoroughly about some of these things. And both those men have confirmed that they're planning to be here in August. Um, so we'll get a chance to hear from the author of our book here in, not, in not, not too many more months. Okay, So that'll be a good thing to look forward to, and there should be some more information coming out about that year before too long, but just wanted to, to let you know that, okay? Last thing I'll say here, just housekeeping item, um, the Ironman groups. Um, if you're not a part of an Ironman group yet and you need an assignment for being part of a group, talk to Pastor Alex. Alex, raise your hand there in the back. Um, he can get you squared away, but guys, um, just again, a reminder, those groups are really, really important. Um, to being able to build meaningful relationships with each other, to bear each other's burdens, um, to talk about how this truth impacts your life specifically, so that this is not just an academic exercise where you come and learn some truth and walk away, Uh, but those groups are are really central to making sure that that what we're learning here is actually being connected to the reality of life. And that you men are able to know each other and have good, solid discipleship kinds of relationships that God has called us to throughout the New Testament. So if you're not part of a group, would very strongly encourage you to jump in and become part of a group. Alex can help you with that. If you are part of a group, my encouragement is over the next 12 weeks here, just be faithful to that. Uh, because those men need you, and you need those men. Okay? That's a very intentional part of what we're doing here on Friday mornings. All right, well, let's go ahead and dive off into the subject matter that we've got here this morning. Now, if you've been with us for some time, you'll remember that we have been already through the doctrine of Bibliology, which is the study of Scripture, the Bible itself. And in that study, we learned that the point of Scripture is to show us the nature of who God is, the nature of who we are, and the nature of God's plan to fix who we are in Himself, okay? That's the big picture of what Scripture seeks to accomplish in us. And we've already kind of covered point one of that, who God is. And we've done that over the last year and a half as we covered the fields of theology proper, Christology, and most recently, pneumatology, all right? We've covered thoroughly who God is. We've dug deeply down into the truth of each member of the Trinity and how, who they are and how they interact with one another, their oneness, yet their distinction. We've we've talked about all of that. And now having covered that, we turn the page to, (coughs) excuse me, to see (coughs) who we are now, okay? And I know that the first reaction to that, who we are, might be, well, yuck, (laughs) <laughs> after having discussed who God is. And yet, interestingly enough, gentlemen, that, that is not who we were created to be. Um, we were not created as fallen creatures. We were created as beings who have unique dignity and inherent worthiness and great beauty and power, and in a sense, majesty that, that, that belongs to us as human beings. That's how God created us. And who we are today, the biblical picture of, of who man is today, is not consistent with the purpose of our creation. And so when we talk about the doctrine of mankind and who we are, we need to both understand what we were made to be, and that's where we start, but then we need to look at who we actually are in practice come now today and that's why we we combine the next two fields in our theological study anthropology the study of man with hamartiology, the study of sin because (coughs) man is who man is because of man's sin today but that doesn't mean that that's who we were created to be see we were made scripture tells us in the image of God and that is the driving principle that, that, that really stands behind a biblical doctrine of anthropology and so that's what we're gonna start with here this morning but as we're gonna see as we get going a biblical doctrine of anthropology an understanding of the fact that we've been made in the image of God that reality really does touch everything about our world and our interaction with our world as human beings And so what we're going to do here is over the next three weeks, we're going to establish some of the biblical principles as relates to mankind and who we were created to be, what we are, what our nature is, what our mission is. Um, But then we're also going to look at sin and how sin has corrupted that nature and that mission, And, and from there then, we're going to look at this kind of interaction between our intended purpose and the way sin has impacted each of these different areas in our human experience as we go through this world and get some biblical perspective on a number of just very practical issues. Some of those things will be we'll, we'll be looking at a theology of work. What's the intended purpose of work? a theology of technology, how should we interact with all of these things that that mankind has developed for himself. We'll talk about a biblical perspective on sexuality and gender. We'll talk about understanding biblical complementarianism, what my role is as a man versus what the role of a woman is. We'll talk about the sanctity of human life. We'll talk about having a biblical perspective on race and ethnicity. Biblical perspective on government and justice, which that's probably a timely message for us to be thinking about right now. Uh, Biblical perspective on time and death, and then kind of the ultimate aim of what God has outlined for us as his followers and as human beings, which is glorification, okay? So that's kind of our outline, all right? So we're going to start with some, some big picture principles here this week and the next two weeks. And then we'll get down into some more of those practical topics that uh, those big principles impact and drive. Okay, so that's kind of the overview of where we're, <laughs> where we're going. Any questions at all? Um. Okay, good. Guys, I'm sorry. I'm still uh, I'm still hacking my way through here so you're gonna have to put up with me. All right. Yeah, it is on the uh, church. It should be through the, through the church center app. All right, if you guys have signed up for the course, which I hope you all have. If you have not, <coughs> um, there was a QR code up there on the screen. Terry, can you just back up once and put that up there? It's up there, perfect. All right, if you guys have not yet signed up for the class and you want to have access to the things I'm talking about, it'd be very helpful to have you signed up. That way you get reminder emails, that sort of thing. Just scan that code, and it will directly take you to a link where you can sign up. And then once you've signed up, um, you can access all those information, all that information on the Church Center app specifically. Okay. Um, if you don't have the app, then I can get you a direct website link where you can access that stuff. Um, but I would need to know that you don't have the app. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yes. And and then when you go to that group and click on it, then there should be something where you go resources.
0: Okay, good. Yes, look under uh, groups and then resources. Is that correct? Okay, perfect. Thank you. That's very, very helpful. All right, let's get going here, okay? So let me just go ahead and give you guys some definitions this morning, all right? Definitions with regard to anthropology and hamartiology, and these are pretty self-explanatory, but I just want to take uh, the technicality of the theological world that's been building for 2,000 years and make sure it's really clear, okay? So when we talk about anthropology, um, we're not talking about the name of a boutique women's clothing store, all right? What we're talking about when we speak of anthropology, In the Greek language, anthropos is the word man, and logos is the Greek word for a word about or a study of something. So when we talk about anthropology, we're talking about a study of mankind and all the doctrines that relate to mankind. That's what we're talking about there. Same thing with hamartiology. The word hamartia is the Greek word for sin, combine that with the word logos a study about and you get hamartiology a study of sin all right so if we use those technical terms hamartiology and anthropology we're talking about the doctrines of what man and sin okay clear as mud good glad we got that squared away all right the key principle guys that drives everything in the field of biblical anthropology is this principle you are made in the image of god which theologians will refer to as the imago dei which is latin for image of god (laughs) okay Really simple there, but if you see that term floating around the Imago Dei, that's just a fancy way to refer to the image of God. But the key principle in anthropology that's going to drive everything in this study is the reality that God made you to be in his image, specifically. Now, having stated that, sounds simple enough, but we have to ask the question, what does that actually mean? What does it mean that I am made in the image of God? In what way am I made in the image of God? What is the substance of the image of God in me? And the answer to that question gets just a little bit more complex because scripture uh, doesn't actually define that when it states we're made in the image of God, which means it's left to us to figure out and interpret what that actually means. So let's start out this morning by going to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, and we'll read verses 26 to 31. And if somebody can go ahead and just belt that out once they get there, we'll go from there. Because this is where this truth is laid out, right at the very beginning that we are made in the image of God. So let's read about it for ourselves and see what it has to say before we try to define it. Somebody go ahead. And over the birds <coughs> of the sky, over the cattle, all the earth, everything. Through thirty one.
1: God said, Behold, I have given you every place, every tree shall be Every face of the earth, every bird of the sky, every flu as life. I have given you every man. And if so, God saw all that he had made whole
0: all right there you have it okay uh, obviously this truth about mankind is really important because there in verses 26 to 27 God says that he makes man on his image not once not twice but three times God says let us make man in our image after our likeness so God created man in his own image in the image of God he created him He says it frontwards, he says it backwards, he says it over and over and over again. This is the primary principle that governs who we are and sets us off in distinction from the rest of creation. Nothing else in days 1 through 5 is said to be made in the image of God. Only mankind is made in the image of God and it's highlighted, it's stated in triplicate three times. It's very, very important. So, So what does that actually mean? because Genesis 1 kind of tosses this central truth out there that you're made in the image of God, but it doesn't actually explain what that means. So what does it mean? Well, let me go ahead and give you just some basic views that have existed throughout church history, okay? There are three primary views, all of which we are going to, at some level, reject here together, okay? The first one (coughs) is called the substantive view and that is that the image of God is an ability or a unique characteristic that humans alone have. And this has kind of been the, the dominant view throughout much of church history. So it's the idea that because I am a rational being and I've got the powers of higher reasoning, it's that rationality of my humanity that makes me unique and makes me like God. Or they might say, for instance, that it's the fact that I have a personality that makes me unique and makes me like God. That it's my rationality or it's my personality. Or some theologians have even gone so far as to say it's the human being's ability to walk upright on two legs as a biped that makes him unique from the rest of creation. None of those things, those things may be unique to human beings, but none of those things are the things that that make me made in the image of God. None of those things are reflective of God in me. And that's really the major drawback. It's that God is a spirit, right? He has no body. And thus the true image of God can't be something that is tied to a body, okay? Additionally... for us to say, well, the image of God is just this one thing, like being, having the ability to walk upright or having the ability to think with higher reasoning powers is to just arbitrarily kind of choose a particular feature of my humanity that scripture never actually says is the defining characteristic that makes you like unto God, okay, to be made into his image. So we have to go ahead and just reject this view out of hand, all right, because that's, that's clearly not what scripture is saying is the image of God. And I'm kind of boiling a lot down now here into a rather simple understanding. So there is more that could be said. And if um, you've already thought a lot about this and I'm not saying it, my apologies. But we're just gonna keep going through here rather quickly, okay? The second view is what's called the relational view. And that says that, that me being made in the image of God means that, that my imago Dei, my ability to be made in God's image and to reflect his likeness is really found in my ability to stand in relationship to God and to one another. That, that the image of God is really more of a relational kind of truth. That is, as I have got the ability to know you and interact with you and have a relationship with you, that's what makes me as a human being made in the image of God. Well, my question there is, well, what about the angels, right? don't they have some kind of relationship to God? Sure, it, it's a different kind of relationship, but it's still a relationship nonetheless, mm-hmm. right? So if, if me being made in the image of God boils simply down to my ability to have a relationship to Him, well, there's another kind of being in the universe that, that has a relationship to God, and so, so that means that they're made in the image of God? Oh, I don't think we can say that either. So that has to be... Um, put out put away as well okay Uh, the next one would be called the functional view it's not just my ability to have a relationship but the functional view says no the the image of God really is found in something that I do as a man and the primary way that the primary thing that that proponents of this view would point to is they say well look God says they're made in 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 my image and then he immediately gives them the responsibility to exercise dominion over the earth. And so, as I exercise dominion over the earth and I subdue the earth, that is really me as a human being reflecting lordship over creation. And that's the way by which I'm reflecting the image of God. As he is the Lord over all things, now I am made a Lord of sorts over creation, and that's the means by which I reflect his image, is as I subdue the earth and exercise dominion over it. But that's also a little bit problematic because it it really confuses the image of God with the result of the image. See, it's because you were made in the image of God that, resultingly, you've got the capacity now to exercise dominion. But the exercise of dominion isn't the substance of the image. It's because you are the image that you have the right to exercise dominion. But exercising dominion isn't the definition of the image. Okay, So that's kind of reversing things and getting them in the wrong order. So. Now that I've thoroughly confused you and given you all the wrong conclusions that have been uh, drawn throughout church history, what is the right understanding? You guys ready for some clarity? Okay, good. Well, like everything else in theology, in scripture, in the Christian life, in order for us to be able to correctly understand here, we don't look at ourselves to discern the truth about God. We learned that back in theology proper, didn't we? That if you wanna know the truth about who God is, don't look at you, okay? It's a big mistake to say, well, because I understand the nature of human love, now that means I understand the nature of God's love. You can't take the truth of yourself and superimpose that back upon God, okay? Same thing, is true when it comes to trying to understand what the image of God is. You can't look at yourself and say who am I as a human being and then say because this is who I am that must be who God is as the image. No. What's the right way to do theological study and interpretation? What's the right order? Read the Bible and start with who? God as seen through Christ And it's as I see the perfection of God in Christ, now I draw conclusions about myself. Never the other way around. So if I want to understand the image of God, I don't start with me and then try to understand God. No, if I want to understand the image of God, I start first with who? God. And then I draw conclusions about me. Okay, is that clear? Very important theological principle, so let's apply it here to this conversation. If you want to know what the image of God is, then you've got to actually look at God to properly discern something about Him. And I ask you men, what, rather who, reveals the image of God to man? Jesus Christ. See you have been listening on Sunday mornings. That's the whole point of John 17, isn't it? That's what we've been studying the last two weeks is that Jesus says, I have come to do my Father's will. I have come to do His work completely. And the work of my Father is that I would make His name, His nature, His purposes, His messages known to mankind. Right? If you want to see who God is, then you've got to look at the person of Jesus Christ. And there's a lot of truth in Scripture about Christ being the perfect image of God. All right. Let me establish that for you because this is a really central truth now. Colossians 1, I'm going to give you three texts here. I want you guys to read these for me. Colossians 1.15, 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, and Hebrews 1.3. Who can do Colossians 1.15? Okay, Rogi. Who can do 2 Corinthians 4.4? Charlie. And then who can do Hebrews 1.3? Tony. Okay, let's do it. Okay, what what do we find there? If you want to know what the image of God is, where do you look? Jesus. Jesus. Because he is the visible, what's it say, Rogie? Image, very same word of the invisible God. Okay, so if you want to know what the image of God is, Jesus Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. That's where you look. All right, Second Corinthians four four. Charlie. Wait, what, what, what was that last phrase? That Christ is what? Christ. Christ. Who is the image of God? Okay? Hebrews one, mm, let's back it up and do two and three, Tony. But in these last days
1: he was spoken to us by his son, the heir of all things. Through whom? Also the Pradian, of
0: God, the Echim. Oh hang on, he is the what? and the exact imprint of his nature okay so if you want to see and know what the image of god is where do you look at yourself i've got the ability to walk on two legs and be a rational human being i'm a man no if you want to see the image of god where do you look at the person of Jesus Christ, for he is the exact imprint of his nature. He is the image of God himself. He is the perfect image of God, all right? So what about God do we see in the person of Jesus Christ? Well, we see the fullness of his glory. And what I ask you is the definition of God's glory. We talked about this two Sunday mornings ago. What is the definition of the glory of God? Anybody remember? take a step. there it is it is a visible manifestation of his character of his nature of his attributes okay that's the glory of God and guys that's really the substance of what the image of God is okay here's the definition now mankind alone has been created with the unique capacity to reflect the communicable attributes of God the very nature of God the glory of God the essence of his character which is who God is is imaged it is reflected it is demonstrated in mankind look a, a, a monkey does not have the ability to love as God loves, but you do. A fish can't show a little bit of mercy, not even if they try with all their little fish lip might. Right? A a lion cannot show compassion. It is antithetical to his nature. He has one instinct, it's to kill and to eat. An elephant, does not have a sense of righteous holiness. But you do. It's been genetically hardwired into your conscience. There is no code of justice amongst a pack of hyenas, for instance. Do you get the point I'm trying to make here? The plant world has no capacity to act like God or to reflect the attributes of who he is or his nature to the rest of creation. But you do you were created with the capacity to demonstrate godliness right with the all the vehicles and all of the tools necessary hardwired into you to show the rest of creation what god is like that's what jesus does for us He shows us the fullness of God's glory, the fullness of his character, and thus he is the perfect image of God. Well, guys, that's what you were created to do. You were created to demonstrate and reflect the character of God. And you alone in all creation were created with the tools necessary to be able to do that. See, our our ability to have verbal processing, which is unlike any other animal, or our ability to have higher reasoning, or my personality, or my unique mind, my will and my emotions. Those things are not the image of God. Those things are the tools or the vehicles by which God has equipped me to display His image, or to display His nature, or His character traits, or His attributes to the rest of creation. That's the reason why I was made. See, no other creation has the ability to reflect godliness, but you do. And that's the essence of who God is. That's the essence of what Christ came to be. It's why he's the perfect image. Where we have failed, Christ has succeeded. And so we were made to be the image. We failed spectacularly in that mission. And now Christ has come as the perfect image image and and it's it's that creation in the image of God with the capacity to reflect his nature that makes us the pinnacle of creation it's not that we have more intelligence or more strength than any other creature it's that we alone have the capacity to manifest the nature of God now there's this little problem called the fall (laughs) in the equation (laughs) excuse me will say that the fall doesn't impact the image of God in man. Everybody's still got the image of God undamaged within themselves. Is that a true statement or a false statement? Let's let's take a vote. True. Who says true? Okay. Oh, man. (laughs) Never mind. (coughs) <coughs> it's a trick question. I was trying to lead you into a trap. It's a trap, says Admiral Akbar. <coughs> it was a Star Wars reference for those of you who are wondering. Okay, let's keep going. All right, it's, it, 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 it's, it's both. Everybody still has the image of God, but it has been damaged. Okay? In that we no longer have, we, we may have the, the substance of the image. Every single human being still has the capacity, the, the inherent nature to be able to choose to reflect the, the, the image within themselves, character traits of God. But our actual ability to do that has been mortally wounded okay, by sin. So I may, be, I may have been created to do this, but <coughs> because of sin... I cannot, see everybody's still got the image, the capacity to show God's nature is there, but the ability to actually do this has really just been, been shattered, all right? Let me show this to you from the scriptures, all right? The image is still most certainly there. Somebody read Genesis 9, 6, who can do that, okay? Marv, Romans 1, okay, Charlie, and then James 3, 9, Tom. Okay, so bottom line, don't kill people, right? Why? Because everybody's made in the image of God, and therefore they have inherent worth and dignity. Now, is Genesis 9 post-fall? Uh, obviously, right? And is the image of God still something that, that God takes notice of and cares about? Yes, so it, it's, it's still there. Romans one twenty-three. Charlie? Okay, yeah, it's still there, but mankind is doing its dead level best to, tr- to try to find it, its reflective capacity and all those things that look the opposite of God. Right? That's what the fallen sin has done to us. Romans one twenty three, and then James three nine. Tom. With it we bless, with it we men who have been made in the likeness of God. Okay. So the point there is: Hey, be careful with what you say to people. Because you should not be cursing other human beings, them having been made in God's image. So is the image of God still present post-fall? Yeah, all of these texts very clearly affirm that. But our actual capacity to fulfill the purpose for which we were created, do we have the ability to do that which we, for which we were made? As we were intended to? Well, Ephesians 2.1, who can read that for me? And then Romans 6.17, Ephesians 2.1, who's there? Don? And then Romans 6.17, Mark. Okay. Okay, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. One of the results of sin entering into the world is that now you're dead, which means you not only know God, but you have no capacity to fulfill the purpose for which God made you to begin with. Right? You, you've got no ability to reflect His nature as you were created to do because sin has fundamentally broken your ability to reflect His nature. All right, uh, Mark? <laughs> Okay. Not only were you dead, but you were also slaves to sin, reflecting the exact opposite of what God made you to reflect. Okay. So that's the truth of that. Is the image still there post-fall? Yes, but your ability to actually do it has been fundamentally damaged, which means we need a new image to be presented. If mankind was created to present the image of God to the world, but we have failed who does that set us up for? Jesus Christ, who is himself the perfect image. And that's how now we not only see the image of God today, it's as we look at him, but here's how you can begin to be restored into being the image of God that you were made to be. Now there's a number of texts here And I want us to run through these really quickly together because this is really important, guys, this is where now the importance of you pursuing growth in Christ and sanctification actually becomes your pursuit of fulfilling the very fundamental purpose and destiny for which you were created. See, you were made to reflect the image of God, to reflect the characteristics of who he is. And the only way now that you can reflect God's nature is As Christ is formed in you and your mind is renewed and transformed to no longer be that broken mindset of sinfulness and the flesh, but now be renewed into the perfect image of Jesus Christ, who is the image of God. This is the way by which you and I are now restored. The image is restored in us to what God intended for it to be originally. So let's run through these texts. I'm going to divvy these out again and we'll read through them together. Colossians 3.10. Okay, Court. Let's just do these real quick. Romans eight twenty nine. Okay, uh, Second Corinthians three eighteen. Charlie, Romans twelve two. Okay, uh, Ephesians five one. Brian, and then uh, I'll do John seventeen because I'm thinking a lot about John seventeen right now. All right, Colossians three ten. Who's got it? <laughs> Okay, there it is. Put on the new self. And what's that new self going to be looking like? Jesus, who is the image of the one who has created us. Okay, so he is the perfect image of God. We are now being conformed into that image. And therefore, we begin to fulfill the purpose for which we were made. Once more, having lost that capacity because of sin. See the importance of your sanctification there? You can't fulfill the purpose for which you were made until you start looking like Jesus Christ. That's the importance of this. Romans 8, 29, who's got that? Okay, this was God's plan all along, right? So that his glory might be made known. Satan could do his worst. He could threaten the image of God in man by causing man to fall into sin. But what had God done? He predestined us, which means He chose us for this work before any of that fall had even taken place. And what was it specifically that He chose us for? What's it say there, Aidan? That we would be conformed to the image of His Son. That's what He chose us for. 2 Corinthians 3.18. You're going to start seeing this pop up everywhere now, that the image of God is now to be found only in your restoration to looking like Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 3.18 Okay, so you behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, and you're being transformed from one image, that of fallen humanness, where we have fundamentally betrayed our purpose, to another image, namely the image of Jesus Christ, who is the perfected image of God. And that's who you're becoming like, according to 2 Corinthians 3.18. Romans 12.2, who's got that one? Okay? The will of God is the transformation of your mind so that you would be like unto Christ, who is the perfect reflection of God's nature, he succeeding where we have failed, and so rather than being like you and who you once were, now we seek to be transformed by the power of the Spirit into the image of Christ, who is the perfect image of God. All right, Ephesians five one, let's do that one. Be imitators of God because you are his beloved children. Do you see how that in all of these texts, there's an expectation now that if we have been saved by God for his glory, we would begin to pursue likeness to Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the perfect image of God and we were made to be in the image of God. We can't do that now apart from Christ, but once having come to know Christ, now what is the driving fundamental purpose of our life? That we would begin to take on Christ-likeness and look like Him. That the image of God in us would be restored to full power as we become more like Jesus, who is the very image of God. Do you see how these pieces connect? All right. For instance, let me just give you one final illustration to kind of tie all this together, just to show you how pervasive this idea is in the Scriptures. This is why (coughs) the fruit of the Spirit, for instance, in Galatians 6, is nothing more than a list of Christ-likeness. What is the fruit of the Spirit? But a list of God's attributes. See, it's as the Spirit within you conforms you to the image of Christ, who is the image of God, that in your life, the very same characteristics of godliness are being formed. What does that mean? It means that as the Spirit does His work and you take on Christ's likeness, your ability to function as a bearer of God's image now grows. That's the point of your sanctification, that you would be being brought back into line with the Imago Dei that was installed within you at the point of creation. All right, so what does that mean the future is of the image of God? Let's just touch on this kind of as the, uh, as the final point we'll make here this morning. Well, the future of the image of God in you ultimately is your glorification. Let me read for us 1 John <coughs> 3, 2, Okay. <coughs> And somebody else go to First Corinthians fifteen forty nine. We've already read 2 Corinthians three eighteen, so I'll let you guys look at that on your own time. But first Corinthians fifteen forty-nine, and I'll read first John three two. Okay, first John three two says this Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears the perfect image of God, when we lay eyes on Him, in that day, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him just as He is. See guys, the, the, the whole point of glorification is that now you are fully restored to the perfect image of the Son of God who is Himself the image of God. And now you stand as being one with Him having been made like unto him, no more sin, no more struggle. Now, all the time, you are acting in a way that reflects the character of God. That's what awaits us in heaven. Nothing but goodness, joy, peace, love, grace, mercy, compassion. And nevermore do you struggle with the the desire and the temptation to do the opposite. Because now you've been conformed perfectly into the image of Christ, Having seen him for everything that he is, that's the point of glorification. All right? Let's do one more. First Corinthians 15:49. Anybody there? Oh man, don't you love that? Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, who's that? Adam. Right, that's scoundrel. <laughs> the one who ate the apple, took it from his wife, and now, man, we're wearing we're the image of the man of dust, the man who introduced death into the world. And that's what we struggle with. But the day is coming when glorifi- glorification takes place. And in that day, what image will we be bearing forever? The image of Jesus, right? The image of the Son of Man who is in heaven. That's what awaits us. Guys, that's the whole scope of what the image of God is in man. We were all made to reflect the nature and fundamental character of who God is. The fall has permanently damaged our actual capacity to do that, which is what makes Jesus, the one who came as the perfect image, so very important to us. And now our goal is to look like Jesus, who is the image of God that we were created to be. And ultimately, our purpose for creation will be fulfilled as we are glorified, looking like him. And now for the rest of eternity in us, the glorious nature of who our God is will be put on display. We now bringing glory to God just as Jesus came to bring glory to God. All right? so what are some what are some implications of this? Let me just wrap it up with this. All right look, the truth about this, as it relates to anthropology, is that you and I we are not just another branch on the animal family tree there's a lot of people who would say you know we 're cousins to the apes you know Darwinism, evolutionary theology would say that uh, that we're all related to the rest of creation because we've all come from the same single cell amoeba. But that is not the biblical understanding at all of mankind. Evolution and biblical theology are utterly at odds, and anybody who tries to reconcile them cannot, because we were made to be something fundamentally different. We are not just another branch on the related tree of all the animal species. No, we're a completely different kind of tree altogether. We've been set aside as having unique dignity and inherent worth, which means now, guys, that we as Christians are going to have very different perspectives on so many different things in our world. We're not going to think the same way about our world or about our place in that world or about the people that are on the world. We're not gonna think the same way about issues like ethnicity or issues like government or technology or work or the beginning of life or the end of life. See, people who think that we're just an extension of the animal kingdom, that we just happen to be here and there's no real purpose behind the design of humanity in creation or in evolution, I should say. They just think that we're an extension of the animal kingdom and so that radically impacts the way that they view our place in this world and how we ought to be reacting and interacting with one another and with this world. But we know better. We know that God made us uniquely for a specific kind of a purpose. And that now impacts everything about our experience on this planet and with each other. And so as Christians, this is the reason why our worldview is fundamentally different than the rest of our society because we understand that we have a unique function and were created with inherent worth because we were made in the image of God. And therefore, it's our responsibility, it's our obligation to reflect his image to not only the rest of creation, but to the rest of our society who has lost their fundamental driving purpose and distinction. Okay, so we're gonna talk a lot about those things, but all of it boils back down to this principle of the image of God. Okay, that's one implication. Second one, look, Everything about you. Now, if you understand these principles, that you were made to reflect the imago Dei, if you were made to reflect the image of God, and the purpose of Christ coming was to show you where we had failed, He came to show you who God is and make it possible for you once more to reflect that image. Well, if you understand that, then everything about you should be aimed at seeking to walk in a way that reflects godliness. See, God gave you, men, he gave you tools for the display of his image. He gave you the ability to engage in relationships. He gave you the ability to have a personality. He gave you an inherent strength. He gave you certain skills and rationality and verbal capacity and higher reasoning. As we've said, those things aren't the image themselves. But all of them were given to you with one purpose, that you would leverage all of those unique capacities that humans have to reflect his image and his image alone. And this is part of what God means when he says that you're to love him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Everything that you are is now meant to be leveraged to putting his nature on display. That's the expectation of God for you if you've seen the image of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Now you're responsible to use everything to look like Him. Okay? The third implication here that I would give you this morning, just to be thinking about, is that the, your growth in Christ-likeness, as you seek to put on Christ your mind to be renewed, for you to be conformed into the image of Christ, for the fruit of the Spirit to be developed in you, Your pursuit of Christ-likeness guys, that is the way by which you fulfill your destiny. You were not created to be an accountant, or a carpenter, or a consultant. You were created to reflect the image of holy, almighty God. And the only way by which you can fulfill that destiny for which God made you is via your growth in Christ-likeness. is the image of God so that ought to be the thing that we all devote ourselves to pursuing constantly every single day because apart from that (laughs) we have no purpose what's our purpose to make money to be successful I mean what kind of empty purpose is that no your purpose is to reflect the image of God that only happens as you pursue likeness to Christ who is the perfect image okay last one When you understand this theology of the imago Dei, of the image of God, guys, this ought to cause you to be really dependent on the person of Christ. And that's the last implication that I really want to leave you with here this morning. Left to yourself, who are you? Oh my goodness, I'm looking at you this morning. (laughs) No, you're, you're a fallen human being with no capacity other than to reflect the image of the man of dust, Adam, and his sin. The only way for you to reflect the image of God as you were made to do is as you walk in full dependency upon the person of Jesus Christ. And so that's got to be the objective for which we now live our lives. I hope that's... (laughs) Excuse me. An encouragement to you guys this morning to know what it is we are and what it is we are called to be and to do. Because understanding these principles, it's going to drive everything now with how we interact with our world. And that's what we're going to get into in, in future weeks here. Okay? Good stuff. Guys, it is good to be back in the forge. Happy, uh, happy Friday morning. All right? We'll see you both on Sunday and back here next week. See you then.